It is happening again. It is happening again. I never thought about hell until I was here. Having got here, it suits me in, in many ways. It is a little on the, on the edge of things. I think even its natives would say that. A cut price crowd, urban yet simple, dwelling where only salesmen and relations come. And across there, over the estuary of the Humber, is Yorkshire, and you can just see Hull, where Philip Larkin lives. It's a place of thunder, clouds, dark red brick Georgian streets, where they survive, and steeples and domes. And beyond Hull was the North Sea. If anywhere's the end of England and the end of land, it's Hull and beyond Hull. Welcome to the podcast. It's a podcast about the culture of Hull, what we do and who we are. Oh, blimey. 
Well, that was the gripping, opening and ominous tagline of Paragon Dreams. The gritty solo theatre piece by our guest for this episode, Hester Ulyart. And that was her voice too, because she performs it, accompanied by Joe Roper's haunting soundtrack. That clip was recorded, inadequately, by me, at the show's dress rehearsal at Holtruck's Studio Theatre. But despite that, the atmosphere still makes it through your headphones and your speakers, doesn't it? It's the second piece that Hetty's written. The first one was called The Ballad of Paragon Station. And she's adding a dark and dreamlike voice to Hull writing as she searches the hidden corners of the city for stories of magic, mystery and things that go on after midnight. Now, if you're listening to this before Saturday the 4th of May, you can see it and experience it for yourself, because it'll still be on. And I hope you will, because it's really good. We talked the day after press night and mused upon David Lynch, listening to the restless inner voice and taking the leap into writing, our city's seedy underbelly, and the ubiquity of Hollensians. I think it works. Hello, one, two. Go on, say something. One, two. Cheese on toast. Yeah. Mouse in the hole. I think, yeah. Is that all right? <clears throat> right. Uh, where's my thing? Weirdo. Like a tiny microphone. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and this one. Um, when was the first time that you saw Hull on stage or screen? Well, funnily enough, Matt, what was uh where was Up on Roof set? That was set on the roof uh, of Hull Prison. Well, I think it was probably that. Was it? Yeah, it's a funny question. In 2006, yeah? Yeah. I mean, that's the one that sprang to mind. Yeah. Um, or maybe some stuff previous to that. But, I mean, how old am I? I'm 31, so I would... Yeah. I reckon maybe some Godber stuff. Yeah. Like, But I don't think I would have seen Bouncers. Probably that. Or or it could have also... I've got another one now. Um, Fish and Leather. Yeah, Jill Adams. Yeah, Jill Adams. Yeah, that was... Yeah, I mean, she, she was one of the first to kind of properly say, right, I'm a whole writer, this is my home, this is where I write. And she she writes it like no other because she knows it like no other, you know. Exactly. And um, Paperboy, I remember she did a play called Paperboy, my brother used to act. And so that was when he was probably 13. So, yeah, way earlier, actually. Yeah, yeah. But it, it feels more like a more recent thing where people are going, no, let's write some whole stuff. Mm, well, I think it's... I don't know, to me it doesn't necessarily feel like a newer thing that things are set in Hull, but maybe it's just because of recent, you know, cultural events and Hull, it's Hull this, but actually that's been happening for ages anyway. It's just that, I mean, I think it's a good thing, but it has been pinged out to the rest of the country a bit more. And it's a pretty good place to set stuff, you know. Well, we've got these brilliant, weird little old town passages and stuff, haven't we? And then you've got the docks, that's always interesting. It, it's, it'd be real rich pickings for people. Yeah. Personally. They've started to shoot quite a few big um, sort of TV things here. So, well, Armando and Nietzsche just shot quite yeah. a bit of David Copperfield. I remember because I was working in a local pub yeah. and they all they all came in every day and got really wrecked and one of them gave me a really nice tip. So I will be watching that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was that film, uh, Royal Night Out. Yeah. That um, was yeah. done there. A bit of Victoria in the ITV series. Oh, 
really? Yeah, they shoot down High Street because it looks really Victorian and it's like a perfect film set for them. Mm. And also, I think they like it because it's quiet and they get it for real cheap. Mm-hmm. And also, somebody said that they save a load on parking fines, apparently. When they shoot in London, they just get loads of parking tickets and they just take that as a matter of one of just the cost that they know that they're going to have to pay. I can imagine it would be very stressful to, and very expensive to try and film anything in London. Yeah, but I think they love Hull because the old town, they can pretty much cordon it off and have it as their own private film set. And I would think that the light's good. Yeah, because we've got this this amazing light, haven't we, apparently? Mm. Which I've never really noticed because I just, I take it for granted. But apparently people say it's ace, unique, special light. I always think some of those, like, great buildings that sort of look a bit desolate and strange, you just Mm. think, oh, someone should do something here, you know, like... Oh, what's the big one? Is it Lord Lyne building? Yeah. And you've got all those old factories and stuff Mm. all around with them and... Well, all up the River Hull, um, that's the old industrial sort of heartland. And a lot of it's still there. Yeah. And someone told me that there's... Um, well, I'm sure there's other things around there as well. But I was like, yeah. someone kept pointing out this, this sign being like, that's a brothel. And I'd be like, is yeah. it? Which one? Because it's, it's, it's off the beach track, isn't it? Yeah. And yet close enough. Yeah. The seedy underbelly. Well, interesting. I'm going to get onto that. But um, when did you first write? When did you start writing? Um, in terms of officially in recently? Or? No, unofficially ever. Unofficially ever, I was writing, I wrote a story about, it was called The Greek Gods, and it was um, a little story about this magical Parthenon thing where all the gods came alive, and I think it was about seven or eight. Right. And I remember loving that, and writing loads of poems, and I mean, you'd write at school, don't you? But mm-hmm. I really loved it. So I was writing loads when I was l- little, in my own spare time. And then at school, I wrote a load. I'd do, you know, your teenage books full of poetry and woe is me and you know, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. all that stuff but yeah, yeah. you know and then to be honest when I went into the acting route I sort of stopped because you know it could it can take over yeah and I just invested myself in that really and reading and being and all of that and then um I started writing again um about seven years ago but that was lyrics and stuff oh right because yeah. of the band but then plays uh, probably about five years ago, but just privately. So what did you, did you write scenes or did you start to write, actually, I want to make this to a play or? Mm, I would write little scenes yeah. or I'd write prose passages mm-hmm. or I'd have a little moment where I'd just see a character or feel a character mm-hmm. or something and sort of pen it down, really. You know, you do so much when you're working as an actor that isn't acting, mm-hmm. it feels like. So i sort of sit and, or stand usually, or working in a shop in London or something dreaming up my mm. my little film you know in yeah, my head yeah. thinking right when I do that or when I do that or short film but it's hard you know you don't have the time when you're doing that kind of work so yeah it just sort of finally came together that I just thought right just do something and what was the tipping point for you to write The Ballad of Paragon Station which was the first that was like the first thing that kind of properly bloomed into a full production didn't it the tipping point was that um I had been getting increasingly frustrated, even when I was doing acting jobs, like, mm. which, you know, you'd be, you'd be on tour or something, and I was like, oh, there's something, I feel a bit weird, and I was like, it's your fault, sort it out, you know, so what is it? So I thought, you want to write something, just do it. Mm. And then my drama school, RADA, they, um, every year they send you an email, it's the RADA festival, it's the RADA festival, are you going to apply, are you going to apply, and... 
every year I'd go, can't this year. And that year I just said, yes, I'm going to apply. And do you know what? It was terrifying. I was more scared of actually applying with an idea and getting laughed at than anything since. Because as soon as they seemed interested, I thought, oh, okay. Phew. Mm. You know, and then after that, the ball's rolling. But that was the scariest part, was just putting my hand up. But yeah, that... Well, and then you've got a deadline and think, well, I've committed now. Exactly. Can't go back. Yeah, yeah. deadline. Deadline and um, and obviously we get used to doing auditions and stuff because you're actors. So you just sort of think, well, treat it like that. It's an audition, but it's not. It's a pitch. Mm. And, and I knew what the pitch was because it was always going to be about Hull. Mm-hmm. It was always going to be about that. Just what, what I kind of investigated with that. And... The sort of characters and stories, did you just bring together threads or did you start again and think, right, did you have a story in mind for Ballad of Paragon Station? Or? Um, yeah, I did. Well, no, I had I had a, a kind of catalyst impulse in mind. I'd written, I'd, no, I hadn't. I'd read this thing. So I was a bit younger than I was, like, late 20s, and a lot of my friends, I mean, now they've kind of gone into baby mode. But mm-hmm. then a lot of people I, I still felt were, including, you know, myself at times we're very much in this cycle of sort of perpetual drinking going out mm-hmm. not quite ever having any money feeling really disassociated and unhappy with um certain like london or certain more privileged mm-hmm. things compared with others yeah know? and and i just thought and, and also i was seeing a lot of um theater and going up for stuff that i just didn't recognize and i, I thought there's more interesting stuff on the phone with my friends' lives and my lives that is genuinely happening mm. than, than the actual stuff that I'm seeing that's being put on. Or that's how, so it kind of came from a point of frustration and um, there was this article I read, I think it was Vice or something, saying about this drinking culture that's mm. sort of keeping people in this state of being like a perpetual teen mm-hmm. and not very happy. So that's what it started off as, was kind of going, right, restless characters middle of the night, probably drinking too much, probably running from something, like, go into that. Do And then I thought, well, to be honest, Dylan Thomas and Undermilt Wood, because it was kind of loosely based around that, that was a bit of a crutch for me, because mm. it was my first thing. But I also loved that it was just about this little sleepy town, mm. that sex, death, ghosts, poetry, you know, all the stuff of life, but still mm. really just a little place that could be anywhere. Um, just a really rich beginning for somewhere, you know. Mm. So that kind of blended from there. Have you consciously got any influences, like people you read or playwrights or plays that you've seen, where consciously you've drawn on that? Yes. I mean, yes and no. I think, other than Dylan Thomas right at the beginning, um, but the people I love, you're naturally going to get influenced by, I'd hope so anyway. Um, People I love are like, Tennessee Williams and I love I actually just love poetry as well so you've got um, Anne Sexton you know sort of strong female kind of perspectives and sort of things like that Noel Coward a little bit Mm -hmm. you know the kind of um, but I guess I just love a bit of magic realism but then also you get something like uh, Irvine Welsh you know or train spotting or Mm -hmm. something and you get kind of the richness and the scrattiness of his characters Mm -hmm. but there's still this like epicness to them yeah so I don't know, I think I'm still probably finding my voice a little bit, but I... Oh, absolutely, it's, it's I, your second thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think um, I've not written anything, but the stuff that I've seen where I thought, wow, 
if I ever do, then it, it's just like, I want to kind of make the audience feel like I've just felt watching that. Mm. So we just mentioned uh, Simon Stevens' play called Pork, oh, yeah. which I remember seeing, and yeah. Taste of Honey, both at National Theatre, I thought, that's the theatre that I would want to make. That's the, you, you want to create an atmosphere in a theatre like that, I guess, don't you? Yeah, and I think actually, in terms of that kind of stuff, then I remember seeing Robert Lepage's playing cards and just being absolutely in love with it. So yeah. for me, I'm drawn to things that are multimedia as well. Yeah, yeah. So they, you know, for the inspiration for the ballad one was to work with a visual artist so that it was part, it was almost like, I ended up being really inspired by Cindy Sherman, who's a brilliant photographer kind of person who mm -hmm. uses herself in her work, but always different characters. So mm -hmm. there's the link with the roles and stuff. And um, Nan Goldin, who's another photographer. But yeah, just the kind of the merging of the different art forms, really. Mm. That's always really, I've, I'm always really drawn to that. Um, you mentioned you were in a band, Night Flowers, you were the lead singer. How was that? What was, is it your brother's band or like? Um, yeah, Greg and uh, Chris and Sam and Zeb, they were all doing Night Flowers for a little bit and then I came in kind of as a backing singer. Mm -hmm. The history of me and Greg is we just, we, we sang together when we were little and we were in a band before and it just sort of naturally came out. He's the main songwriter um, and he sort of just, graciously but kind of pushed me forward which was fabulous mm. but also um ended up not being we didn't just couldn't do it really because i i kept going away yeah you know and anyone who's been in a band knows that you've got to be in it it's mm. like got to be in it all the time it's a commitment so it was an amazing thing and they're still but the great thing about it is because i i feel like it was begun with with me and those guys and now it's lifted off into a whole new level because Sophia, who's singing in, in the band now, she's brilliant. And yeah, they're, they're, they're in Japan, they're in Hull, they're in London, they're in all these different places. Thing I forgot to ask is when you first did uh, Ballad of Paragon Station, what was it? Was it different? I mean, you were performing; it was a theatre piece, but it was your theatre piece, mm. and that's what you're doing with Paragon Dreams. Is that different to kind of doing a play that's you know somebody else wrote? Was that a different experience? Yeah, and actually, <laughs> I don't know if it's ruined me because I really like having the control. Right now that 
I've experienced ha having that control. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there's a different hat that you put on. Yeah. Like with Paragon Dreams, um, I've been quite quite controlling, probably, um, in a collaborative way because Mark and me have made a lot of decisions together. But yeah, I was definite that I wanted to, you know, be consulted about everything. Mm -hmm. So I had my Pinterest board of what it would look like. Yeah. I had my choice of composer and um, I was really, really chuffed that Mark wanted to do it and was so invested. So it wasn't purely my decision, but a lot of it, you know, came from me and they expected that as well because they've commissioned me. Mm. So come on, come up with the idea. So that was good. But yeah, it's it's a completely different thing because you care about every aspect because it's your... This always comes up, but anybody I speak to is to what extent do they let other people influence it? And some people... Um, they have a set of ideas and they have a kind of loose vision and they collaborate and suddenly that just takes off. Mm -hmm. But the other way is where you have your absolute vision and you, if you let that go and get diluted too much, if you let too many people sort of chip in with stuff, mm. then it just ends up being a bit between two stools, you know? Completely. And I think, I think that it's super important to be collaborative and take criticism and listen and ask the questions, mm -hmm. you know, and not be... Like, I was thinking about that last night, actually. You cannot, I think people should be told this at drama schools or writing schools or whatever, you can't be precious. Mm. But I do also think that if you've got a strong feeling, you've got to stick with it because you kind of, you have to be sure that when you walk away from that, you'll, you'll have some kind of pride in it, I think. Yeah, and you know that it was your vision and you stand or fall by that. I think it would be yeah. really frustrating if you walked away and said, oh, I didn't battle hard enough for that. I let somebody influence me there. And it, it was wrong in the end. Why and yet, like people say, well, I, I would have never had that idea. And, you know, we incorporated that and it just was beyond my wildest dream. It just lifted it. Mm -hmm. It's always a tough call, isn't it? Yeah, really. But I think if you're working with people that you trust yeah. or that you put your faith in, you have to do that because you can't work with doubt. No. Um, then hopefully you can have those conversations if they're difficult or not. And the, like, the worst thing would be if you didn't put your hand up and say, I'm not very happy about that, but then you said it after, that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. And that's not gonna make that person who will only ever be trying to help you, mm -hmm. it's not gonna feel, make them feel better. They'll just be thinking, well, I wish you'd said that at the time. Yeah. Um, I noticed on one of your Instagram posts. I love Instagram. It's good, isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah. because it's hard to get into a big row. You just, it's just pictures, isn't it? Oh yeah, <laughs> I just love it. And I just love looking at, you know, I just love it. I'm all about it. I take refuge from Twitter in there. Mm. But I noticed there was, was it a David Lynch book or DVD or something. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm a big Lynch fan, and um. I thought that Paragon Dreams... It might, are you a Lynch fan? I am a Lynch fan. And would it be right to say that it was a bit Lynchian? Oh, I'm very glad you said that. Yeah, definitely. I I'd, like to, I'd like to think so. And I, I love that sort of dream, subconscious world that he creates, but I thought that's what you sort of conjured in Paragon Dreams a Well, bit. that makes me very happy because, yeah, I mean, again, that kind of blue velvet, maybe not quite as extreme as that because I don't know how the whole truck would feel, but like, um, you know, that kind of image of her singing with that microphone and the, and the, and the velvet curtains and all of that, that's mm -hmm. definitely the world I was trying to evoke when I was writing it because I just think it's so luxurious. What, what I find fascinating about Holly is like there's an underbelly that not everybody really knows about, but it is there. It's probably there in every city as well. Definitely, yeah. Um, and I thought you started to sort of mine that and explore that a little bit. Mm. I mean, it's quite a dark place in some respects. I was just talking to Russ Lytton yesterday. Yeah. Um, 
and he was telling me some stuff about you know the the, the well I don't know what I can say but just he knows a lot more about like the crime aspects mm. of certain things and and it's no surprise that there is a sort of bit of a crime interest here and yeah I do think that it is that kind of place I mean it's a port often things happen in those kind of places it's um it's got a pretty interesting history hasn't it mm. so I do think there is a pretty seedy there must be I mean there must be yeah. you feel it as well you know, and it's pretty skint, so people try and make a book. You yeah, know? absolutely, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong in this, but it seems fairly recent where we've got the confidence to tell not just the celebratory sort of stories about Hull, but just the ones where you sort of shine light into the dark corners and you tell those sort of seedier stories. Because the perception of Hull is it's so shitty from so many quarters. Mm. You don't want to kind of put that on stage and perpetuate that. But also, you know, I was thinking about that. It's a good point because, you know, you're writing something that might be a little bit dark and you, and yeah, I was conscious that, well, is this projecting Hull in the best light? And then you think, hang on, this is, well, hopefully a survival story. Yeah. And yeah, it's, of course it is. Because these characters are just in, hopefully, you know, interesting characters in a city. You know, it's not, it's not saying it's it's this terrible place because it isn't. Mm. It's it's a city, and I think it's that exact thing that, that you can do a lot of celebratory stuff about a place, but also you don't want to mollycoddle it no. or be like, "Isn't it the best place ever?" Because also it's like, well, it's, it's yeah, it is where it is. And it's not your responsibility. You don't work for the tourist board. It's no. not your responsibility. You, yeah. you, you tell the stories that you want to tell, and yeah. I, I I think anyway, mm-hmm. um, that really appealed to me the kind of Lynchian darkness. My thing, I'm definitely aware that I have got more of a, a magic-y, theatre-y world in my head, mm. I'd say. Um, so, you know, I wanted it to go through, yeah, okay, a bit of the um, grittiness, but not just that, mm. because that's that's one bit of it. But I wanted it to be, you know, kind of romantic and otherworldly at times mm. as well, and kind of... Um, conjure this stuff with your imagination that you can go to you know there's like I love it when you just walk down the street and you see like a glittery something and, and you're like oh what's that yeah. you know there's little secrets and, and magic boxes or something hidden I just love that idea that you know like Narnia basically yeah. so I love that you can have something really mundane but in, in the next instant be completely lifted out into a whole other universe because that's, that's the way my brain works yeah and Hull is gr- a great place for that because it hasn't been scrubbed up within an inch of its mm. life mm. and made antiseptic like like Soho is now mm-hmm. and, and will be more and more they've been developed and made safe mm. whereas there's bits of hole that have been neglected and there's the stuff that's still there like little bits of magic corners you know completely and you know you could focus on any of these places like this is how most of the stuff that's in the play began you know there's a place called the laundrette and it's just um down queen's road I just love it. I walked past it and I walked past one day last summer and the light was streaming through. Yeah. And there's these gleaming drums and these pastel 1950s chairs and this lady with these sunglasses on filling up a a drum. And this fella looks in the window and he's kind of like, looks like he's totally up to no good. But also, why the hell is he looking in the window? Because it's this tiny little window on the side and then he just disappears again. So I don't know, it was like, oh, are they in there? Yes, they are. Like, what's going on there? And that's one little place. And then, you know, you can walk down an arcade in town and go to the joke shop and just think, well, this has got to be a a set for an amazing story about a magician or a magic room, you know? But it's the whole sort of place where things can just carry on undisturbed you know nobody's going to say oh, we're going to buy a shop and stick in 
Well, I, I hope not. Can. You hope not, don't you? It's starting to happen in certain yeah. bits, but I like Hull's defiance and resilience against that, I think. Yeah. That's yeah. what's cool about it. Um, I love the production of Paragon Dreams. I thought the music... Sometimes you get music plonked into a show and it's good, but it feels like it's imposing. Whereas I thought Joe Roper's music was just beautifully woven. Absolutely. It just was part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it was like more of soundscape rather than music. Yeah. What sort of brief, how did you collaborate and how did you come up with the music? So when I wrote the piece, I had pieces of music in my head that would, that kind of inspired it, you know, because it's like, there's a bit of running at the beginning yeah. and, and um, I, I was writing to Philip Glass mm-hmm. and um, like before I go on to listen to Knee 5 by Philip Glass it's just the best And I love a lot of a lot. I listen to a lot of Laurie Anderson for this. Right. Um, that kind of feeling of a heartbeat and someone just talking and it kind of yeah being a bit breathy and dark. And then this element of the cabaret, so you've got these like old school songs. Mm. So I had those songs in my head, mm. but I also knew that Joe's a, he's a composer, he's not going to want to copy them. Mm. So I, when, I, when I sent him the script and the idea of the thing, I'd just made a playlist on Spotify mm-hmm. and said, these are kind of the influences. So we're looking at um, Max Richter and you know Philip Glass and kind of soundscapes and would this be something you're interested in and he was like yes please so that's cool There was a, a feel for it, but um, it, he's he's just really good at, at rhythm and working out what we needed really. And he was in the rehearsal period, so that that was part of the budgeting really. It was like, how do we do this? 
you know, so basically we, our money went on Joe and me. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving yeah. a job is great. Yeah. It's their theatre gig. Really? It felt like what good film music should be. Oh, I, I know that's like, that's, it seems weird to sort of, because it's not film, but a lot of theatre now is influenced by film and games, let's be honest, you know. Mm. But I think good film music is where you don't notice it, but it absolutely affects the way you feel mm-hmm. and supports what you see and hear. I thought that was what you achieved with that. And the lighting as well. I mean, the lighting is really um, it's abstract, isn't it? It's just like bars of strip light that can reproduce any colour. Yeah. So it's not literal. It's, there's no like projections or anything. It's, no, but um, Matthew but just, Clues, work, yeah. who, uh, he did the kind of video projection with like ripples of water. Mm. And, you know, just things that just evoke a quality. Yeah. Um, but we just, yeah, we, we wanted to make it a bit abstract. A sense of it, basically. Yeah. Going back to David Lynch, so that was one of the quite the key images that we were looking at and mm. for Jess to kind of get her teeth around, um, which is this kind of what you can do with shafts of light. Mm. So you've got that black and white sense of the floor, or just yeah, just make it as eerie and use shadow and you know because he uses light so well. Well, he's he's a painter. Yeah, he was first and foremost and still is like mm. a really great painter. So. He understands light as well as anybody, I suppose, mm-hmm. and that visual aspect. But yeah, I, I think if you can do stuff up in an abstract way, the less you kind of prescribe something, Completely. then the audience can kind of complete yeah. that. What was the hardest sort of thing that you found making Paragon Dreams? Hardest thing? Um, oh, there's always hard moments. <laughs> First night was pretty hard. But, you know, that's because... It's scary, and you're looking back at people's faces, and you're thinking, "Okay, how's this hitting you? Is it is it hitting you? I hope it is." Mm. You know, but that's that's the kind of intensity of that first hit of something. Yeah. Um. The the writing of it, there were times when you naturally have that self doubt moment. Mm-hmm. Um. At the time, I was in New Zealand, and I was freaking a little bit because I was thinking. Oh, this is about Hull, but obviously I've got so much of Hull in my head. I probably mm. it was probably good that I wasn't there. So, um, now there's been moments, but actually, I have to say, touch wood, it's been a really, really positive experience because the difference is, I actually had some support, mm. and um, mm. so the fact that Hull truck backed me and were interested mm. and have given me a team to work with, and that's. You know, it's a bit of a dream, really. So I'm not even going to complain about anything, really, because I just feel really happy mm. about the fact that I've been given that opportunity. It's a lucky position, so. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned New Zealand. You've been... So you've been over there a couple of times. Oh, yeah, I got my heart broken. <laughs> so I kind of came Shit. back and then went back. You got your heart broken over there? Yeah, what a fool. And you went back for more? No, I didn't. I went back because I thought, well, well I'm not going to let that it. stop me. Yeah, I ran away because I was a bit like, oh, God. <clears throat> and then I thought, well, no, hang on. You can't let that colour the experience. Yeah. So I went back and then, anyway, there's more stories to that, but I won't okay. confide. That'll be a sequel. But um, you, yeah. you directed. Like, yes. Um, was that the first time you've directed stuff? Yeah. And I, it, was, it was Our Town, is that right? Yeah, we did Our Town and it was such an amazing experience. And, I, you know, I, so yeah, it was my first time doing that. But we, I kind of had co-directed it, really. Mm-hmm. So there's an artistic director there at this place called Littleton Arts Factory, which I love. 
Um, if, you have any, if anyone ever goes to New Zealand, go go to Littleton near Christchurch. You'll have a great time. It looks idyllic. It's awesome. And actually, weirdly, it's kind of like Hull. So that's probably why I love okay. it. Because it's a part town. and it's There was a guy from Hull at the pub stood next to me There's one night. There's people from Hull wherever you go I know. And he goes... What's, what's your name? I don't know why we were talking about it. And he's like, oh yeah, I think your dad taught me art. I was like, you actually kidding me? I've gone across the world. And anyway, that happened. So yeah. that was cool. And I loved it. I loved making making that work. So you've had quite a few experiences recently where do you feel like you've got a more rounded view of making theatre? Definitely. I think like it just came to a point where, I don't know, something sort of went, do it. You, you want to, do it. You've been thinking about it. You get these ideas. Why aren't you doing it? Yeah, that's the big thing, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody has ideas, but some people just go, right, I'm going to crack on. That's all it takes. Yeah. Do you think that will inform your acting? Already has, to be honest. I'm, I still love acting. Yeah. Um, I, find, I find the industry... Um, I don't know if I like the industry that much. But you're making your own <laughs> corner of it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like every my, my philosophy at the moment is like everything adds up to the whole. So do the stuff that you want to do. The people you admire actually aren't just one thing. And if they are, they're, they're really good at that and good good for them. Mm. But you don't have to emulate something. You know, you get told, oh, you've got to do one thing. Mm. Well, yeah, okay. I'm not saying I want to pretend I'm, a, I'm amazing at everything. But if there's something you want to investigate, you mm. should do it. Because you're not suddenly going to get given a golden key yeah like because you'll be happier actually I think so I think um, that's the same for everyone yeah I did did some stand up for the first time which is well you're on your own and you've generated these jokes this content this Mm. this script essentially and you deliver it and you stand off all by everything you do Mm -hmm. Um, and so the satisfaction when it goes well is better than anything because you can claim all that and if it goes wrong it's awful because you've fucked it up on your own yeah and it is such a great sense of satisfaction. See, I, I can't think of anything scarier than doing stand-up. I mean, I, I guess it's just like, just you hold on. And if people are laughing, that's that's success, isn't it? That's job done. Yeah. But with what you're doing, it's harder to sort of gauge the temperature, isn't it? It is, but that's why I pay such attention to the writing mm-hmm. in terms of, well, for me especially. And that's why I've, I've, this one's a thriller. Like, I'm not joking about it. There's mm. a structure and that gives you help there's a brilliant book if people want tips on books john york into the woods i i think i've eaten that book i've, <laughs> I've read so it good. so many times good enough to eat literally you yeah should, that should be on the back of his dust jacket that sounds a great quote i just um i just think that you know it's the same as anything you, you learn from people you learn from what's gone before but even that you know that's a a, a, a risk really because that's why the first night was so terrifying because mm. um, I'm thinking well I hope I hope it works yeah. but you just that's where the trust comes back because you, you you trust that Mark your director or whoever it is that's supporting you mm-hmm. is giving you the feedback because they're an expert and you know yeah. it's not like you you're not flailing out into a vacuum mm-hmm. but it is that initial hello audience this is for you yeah. I hope you're I hope it works for you. And it won't hurt for, work for everybody because that's not yeah. the way it goes, but, you know. But if you don't do it, you'll never know. So what, what about that book, Into the Woods? What's it about and how does um, it help? It, it basically demystifies the story structure of okay. stories. So you've got, often in plays, you've got three or five-act structure. 
But everything begins with, you've got your beginning, then you've got the catalyst, something goes wrong, then you've got a journey, character has a journey, and then um, they're always reaching for something. And then it will get wrapped up in some kind of way. But also, I think it's it's good to know that stuff. But also, it's it's the same with an acting um, tip I got when I was at Rada. But they said, do the work, then forget it. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than than audiences are clever. Mm. Audiences, people are so clever. It's like make they don't want to know what's happening. In terms it, of technique and stuff. Well, in terms of you know. Uh, like a blockbuster, for example. Yeah. Sometimes there's some comfort in knowing, well, this is going to happen, mm-hmm. and then they're going to fall in love, and then but everything will be okay in the end. Sometimes, sometimes there's comfort in that, but sometimes personally it makes me switch off. Mm. And also, that's not very interesting from a writing perspective, or really, you know, you know, characters, because mm. you don't want to do something 2D. Mm. So, I guess... For me, I, I, I begin with characters because that's probably because of my acting background. So I think of the person, or I can feel the person, or what they're thinking, and then you go from there. But um, yeah, that book. I just thought it was if you're gonna sit there on your only afternoon off and try and learn from somebody, then yeah, he's a good person. Good tip. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you gonna do next? Have you got an idea of what you want to write next? I've got an acting job coming up. So Have I'm you? Gonna Concentrate on that. What's that? That's in Beverly, um, at the East Riding Theatre in June. It's, I'm plugging myself now. It's great. Do it. Um, Why not? <laughs> it's uh, it's called Chippy. It's another new writing piece um, by a guy called Joe Bennett, and it's set in a whole fish and chip shop, as opposed to a carpentry business. <laughs> yeah. 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 And um, I can't tell you too much That's about right. it, other than it's. Um, Potentially loosely based on a very famous Shakespearean story featuring two murdering um, lovers. Oh, wow, okay. And um, they basically have a chip shop and somebody dies. Right. And it's the, the crazy events that follow on from that. But that'll be in June. Oh, that sounds cool. So that'll be, yeah. Brilliant. Um, last question. What would you like to see coming over the cultural horizon of Hull? Oh, wow. Cultural horizon of Hull. I'd like to just, I mean, I love I love all the stuff about Hull, but I love um, to see more things that aren't just about the port and the docks and fishing, you know? Mm. I love, I, don't get me wrong, I was in the goal. I love all that yeah. stuff. But um, I suppose eking out the different voices of Hull out there, you yeah. know? So it's not just set in this past. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean, God, to be honest, Hull is cracking with with the amount of stuff. I feel like it's like always got a lot going on at the moment. Mm. Um, always more, though. Or more art, more, more music, more yeah. everything. I mean, that's a bit general, isn't it? But. No, no, but um, I mean, I saw, we've got a lot of criticism about the so-called, oh, you know, City of Culture sort of finished in October 2017 and it's just gone back to being quiet. And yet... I'm like, well, it hasn't really, has it? You've just not been getting out, you know. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, well, I've just come back the past couple of months and it feels to me, God, there was a lot of stuff going on. It's just that people have to, you know, go and see it, go support it. I think some of the offerings in the studio where you are at Truck. And Heads Up Festival, that was brilliant. Yeah, and there's Grow Festival coming up. Yeah, that's true. That's expanded. I think Adam 
your producer in the studio, he's curating a lot of that. Yeah. Um, with other people, of course, but... Do you know what? You just made I'm a bit late to the party, but yeah, you just made me think about... So stuff like Freedom Fest, and yeah. you, know, you know how in London you've got like the Spiegel tent and stuff? Yeah. I love all of that stuff, so yeah. I'd just say all more of that. Yeah. Like bring on the tents and the weirdos and the circus freaks and yeah. the crazy art stuff because because Hull could take it we're a bunch of weirdos we're, here. we're now used to that I think that was from the early days of Freedom Fest that's mm. what they were doing mm. it wasn't like oh can we do some weird stuff that was like the standard fair yeah and so I think <laughs> the kids who are now like in their teens and stuff they've been going to Freedom Fest for years and that's just part of their sort of cultural diet really isn't it which yeah. I think is brilliant yeah and you don't think oh this is a bit avant-garde it's just no. like oh I loved that last year let's go and see some more I know I love how you know going back to like the whole aspect so growing up here I'm I, I'm guessing it was the same for you but especially like you know it was pretty knackered Hull in the 90s and early 2000s was even like was super knackered yeah and and all you heard was about how crap it was you know like and so I, when I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll get out and see what the rest of the UK is like, and I'd be going on these theatres, and I was like, I felt like I'd been sold a lie. Mm. Because I thought, are you kidding me? Hull's got such a culture. Mm. Like, at least it's got some interest about it and a bit of weirdness. And, you know, it's got its folk roots or it's got its, yeah, as you say, it's funny little corners or not everywhere looks the same and mm. I'd go I don't want to diss anywhere else particularly but I'd go to some other places that look a bit more suburban or blanket town or kind of isn't this a lovely place mm. and I think no it's boring as yeah. hell it doesn't have an identity yeah it's so, like things are just allowed to sort of happen they're not over curated they're not over, yeah, they're not over anything just get on with it you're just cracking on a bit this is a bit weird thing over there mm. oh there's something odd at Cardoma let's go and see that yeah and there's, there's not a self-consciousness about it. It's like... I think it's the lack of pretension as well. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. if someone is pretentious, then you sort of... You can see people kind of think, all right. You I get got, an honest got, answer, don't you? Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it makes you humble. To be fair, that to me is why sometimes, even though New Zealand was across the entire other side of the world, yeah. it felt quite similar. Because I think in a, in the sense of their country, they're completely isolated. Mm. And there's some chat about, you know whole at times being isolated especially before the bridge was here and stuff mm. so yeah that little pocket of a world mm. that does its own thing and it's a bit like i'm all right mate we're, we're good here mm. sorry did you want something you know <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah oh okay yeah come in why why not but i'm not going to necessarily take any notice of you yeah but i'm not going to be rude to you it's yeah. just yeah we're all the same here long may that continue i think i hope so yeah it's, it's a really well. good thing yeah
we haven't unsettled you too much. Um, but if that's your thing, and you want to see a fine production from another emerging writer of Hull, Paragon Dreams is playing in the studio at Hull Truck until Saturday the 4th of May. Um, we mentioned Grow Festival, which is Hull Truck's artist development programme, and it's happening again from the 7th to the 11th of May. Um, and you can take part in workshops on all aspects of theatre, not just performance, there's production workshops, um, and you can listen to people who've been in the game for years, and you can benefit from their wisdom and see early outings of new shows and ideas before they go to Edinburgh and beyond and become massive. So get down there, there is such a brilliant menu of stuff um, for you to take part in and watch and listen to. And the gross season uh, continues until July, and there are some fascinating shows lined up, so, uh, you know, don't say we'll never give you an out, mate. Yes. Mm-hmm. 